0: So I'm joined today by Dr. Sasha Hines, who has all manner of incredible degrees from Harvard and Columbia and the University of Pennsylvania. She has a PhD in uh, developmental psychology. She was one of the first one of the first thirty three people to get a degree in positive psychology, and she's my coach. And so I wanted to, I was introduced to her by a friend of mine. Um, and um i've been mm-hmm. we've been working together for how long 3 months mm-hmm. oh, i think we're halfway through um and uh i've had many years of uh going to a therapist and uh decided i wanted to do something slightly different um so i started working with sasha and um She's, you're very interesting because you you don't do that many one-on-one people. You yeah. you kind of pick and choose who you want to work with, and you yeah. you only work mm-hmm. with us for six months, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she and it does work because <laughs> I feel halfway cured. Um, <laughs> once we get through this uh, COVID thing, um, I, I will be going back to my one-on-one coaching. Um, but um, tell me, how did you get into this? whole thing because the idea of positive psychology is really only about 15 yeah, it, years. It hasn't well, goals, there's been
1: um there's always been researchers and psychologists that have been interesting in um things such as optimal human experience. So uh Mike Cheek sent me hi, who did all the research on flow that was happening in the 80s and he and Marty Seligman founded officially founded the field of positive psychology um, in the late nineties, early aughts. Um, but there was plenty of, um, you know, Maslow talked about, um, you know, self-actual, you know, self-actualizing. self So there's, there's an, and of course, philosophers from, you know, time immemorial have been talking about what is, what makes life worth living? Um, what does it mean to live a meaningful life? What is the good life? These are all, existential questions that have been, uh, you know, wrestled with forever. But in terms of a formal field of psychology that had its own body of literature and and frankly, what got attention with regard to research dollars, it's really only been in the last 20 years that um, that positive psychology which essentially means we are studying the causes and correlates of happiness so what is what what do happy people do what are they doing that's different than the rest of us um, what is what are the causes of someone who has exceptional an exceptional life or exceptional talent or very positive relationships with people um, and and we're studying these positive outcomes and studying also you know positive emotion um, institutions that promote flourishing so um looking at the way that we've constructed in terms of our community the things that um that contribute to well-being and to making our lives feel better so this is the work of p- what positive psychologists do and it's broad field um but it's it's just one field in the larger you know in sort of the larger um container of psychology. So uh, it, it's, not, it's, it's not a separate thing. It's just another, you know, there's cognitive psychology, there's developmental, there's a number of different social psychology, you name it. Um, and it's just another way of approaching it and, and just has different research questions, more or less.
0: So, so tell me, what do happy people do? I, I, I remember when I used to be very happy all the time, I think I was deluded. <laughs> Well, um, yeah. why were you deluded? <laughs> I, 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 um, well, I don't know if we want to get into this. Um, I, I think, uh, well, I mean, people have always described me as a very positive person mm-hmm. because I'm an, an optimist. Um, and I kind of work through problem solve and I just believe in the outcome that the outcome will go my way. Um, but, uh, you know, later in life, let's say (laughs) I realized that that doesn't always work. Um, So I think,
1: I think you teach something different. Well, so I think this is actually such an interesting thing because there, there is a, uh, there's a really interesting body of literature on goal setting and uh, positive fantasies. And so there's a difference between having positive expectations and positive fantasies. So, mm, I call positive fantasies positivity porn. You know, it's like it's a it's a version yeah. of emotional novocaine. You're fantasizing about a future that you're really not willing to work towards. You're really not willing to feel because anything you want to achieve in life, and and achievement by the way is one of the components of well being. It's not all just about feeling good. It's also about doing good. You know, which takes effort and practice, and is norm normally includes frustration and disappointment and all of the, all the things, all, all those feelings, right? But when um when we're believe when we're imagining this sort of you know a positive future that has no problems and no issues and it's just everything is amazing, then. We often, it's, it's and interestingly enough, the, the physiological effect of that has been tested and it actually reduces our blood pressure. So it's essentially when we fantasize about our future, this perfect positive future, it's like <laughs> drinking a glass of wine. It just chills you out. So in a sense, it's like, that's why I call it positivity porn, you know, like it just makes you, it gives you <laughs> relief it- in the moment, but it doesn't actually motivate you to go after your dream. That's so
0: interesting. Um, well, first of all, it's better for the for the liver than a glass of wine. <laughs> well, that's but, true. <laughs> um, but you're saying, I'm pretty sure I have been, this has been one of my vices for many years, um, positivity born. But um, so what you're saying is you can't just, because also we're in, we're now in the world of manifesting, you know, just imagine, feel yourself, quantum mm-hmm. physics. I'm, I, I feel myself happy, blah, 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 and I will be happy. Well, obviously there is a little bit of truth to that because, I mean, I have friends who are down in the mouths and, uh, they're pretty much alone and miserable. Um, but the, the people who are happy, positive people attract other happy, positive people because you want to be around them. But, I guess what, what you're saying something further, which is you can't just imagine it, you have to imagine it, but with all the realistic bullshit as well. Well, Yeah, I mean, so,
1: yes. And let me explain why. So positive emotions, I like to call them expansive emotions, because I don't think it's helpful to create a dichotomy between positive emotions are good and negative emotions are bad. No, all emotions are useful. All emotions are giving us information. They're, they're telling us what we do next. That's what emotions do. They prompt action. So all our emotions are good and all of them are useful. Expansive emotions like, uh, curiosity, interest, awe, inspiration, hope, love, joy, serenity, Um, and so forth, you know, we could think of more, um, amusement, those emotions that we know from scientific research that they expand our perspective. They increase our creativity and they broaden what we call our behavioral repertoire, meaning that they positive or these expansive emotions, um, prompt us to do a more variety of a a a wider variety of actions so when you are um we really want to feel positive emotion because and in addition to broadening our perspective they also expansive emotions build resources they build skills because why because when we're engaged in something that we enjoy doing and we're deeply in a space of curiosity or interest we tend to practice right we tend to learn so if you watch children play building legos or drawing or even playing in the garden you know you can see that they're so engaged with what they're doing they're they feel it feels good and so they continue kind of tinkering and practicing right think of someone who's a great inventor they're whatever that's what they're doing um And or someone who's a computer coding, you know, and they get into their little world and it feels good. So we're designed these these expansive emotions are are part of the you know, they're an important they have they play an important evolutionary role because they've helped us build the world that we live in. Right. So they, you know, increase our immunity, our um, emotional resources and our emotional resilience and also our social connections and, you know, uh, expansive emotions, um, also help us connect with other people, right. And create community, which is one of our greatest strengths as, um, as a species is our ability to connect with people, not just in our immediate friends and family, but to connect with people on a, you know, over an ideology. So, uh, These sort of positive emotions, we're classically called them positive emotions or expansive emotions are so essential and we want to cultivate a ratio of, um, you know, expansive emotions to what I call difficult or uh, uncomfortable emotions. You want the ratio to be above a three to one. So three expansive to one difficult. And that's that is okay. it is the, the really interesting research by a woman named Barbara Fredrickson shows that this seems there actually is a mathematical tipping point at which flourishing begets flourishing. So the more, so once you hit this three to one ratio, it actually creates, it snowballs, it creates an exponential growth in the flourishing, right? Which is so fascinating.
0: Interesting. Do you have to have the bad emotion? Can't you just have, you the have good to ones? have
1: the difficult emotion? And here's why. If you think about the analogy and that the, this is her analogy, not mine, but it's a beautiful one. And I think it makes so much sense. But if you think about a sailboat, you have the big billowing sail. And that is what's, you know, it's catching the wind and it's it's taking us to new adventures and to new you know to achievement and to all you know right to have this sort of vital interesting adventurous life but you cannot sail a boat without the keel you have to have a keel you have to have this you know board under the bottom of the boat that's keeping it upright otherwise you'd just be flopping mm. down right it wouldn't work so in order to sail um and to you can have this massive billowing sail, but in order to actually stay on course, you need to feel the um, a difficult or uncomfortable feelings like anger, s- sadness, grief, disappointment, um, embarrassment. You know all of these emotions that maybe are more difficult. Vulnerability, frustration. But we need that. We need to have access to those feelings too because they're very instructive, right? They're, keep, they're course correcting us. Okay, so then the,
0: the book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, mm-hmm. which, which is basically how to master your difficult feelings to cultivate lasting confidence, resilience, and authenticity. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether I read it in that book or in any of the many podcasts I've listened to, <laughs> many <laughs> of the self-help things, which describe the human mind as having a sort of negative default that they go to. Yes. Um, be- because of survival. Can you explain that idea?
1: Yeah, so we have, um, actually, it, it, it links up and, and, and it makes the three-to-one ratio, I think, even more understand, understand why the three-to-one ratio matters so much because we do have a negativity bias. Your brain is, um, it prioritizes negative information. And the reason why is um, for survival so that we are prioritizing any threatening information. might threaten our survival. So it's really important. So that means in general, negative, um, negative information, negative emotion, um, what we perceive to be negative information, negative emotion is going to be prioritized for your brain, meaning it's going to be louder and stronger. You're going to remember it more. Because if you think about most of our day, most of our day, we're feeling fairly neutral emotions, right? I would say we're feeling... Neutral emotions that are probably fairly positive. Like if they had to go to lean towards the positive or the negative side of the spectrum, or the expansive or the difficult side of the spectrum, I would say most of what we feel during the day is neutral, with a little bit of expansiveness. Right. So it might be slightly positive or slightly, you know, you you don't you feel fine, you feel good, feel okay. Um, but because negative emotion is str- stronger and louder, we think, you know, that it's we think it's more pervasive. We 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 sort of feel those negative um, emotions or those difficult feelings more. Um, they're more pronounced. So this is why the three to one ratio is so important. Because even somebody who's clinically depressed has about a two to one ratio. That means two. You know, positive or expansive feelings for one um, negative feeling, difficult feeling. And that's the ratio of someone who's clinically depressed is two to one. So the reason you need more expansive emotions is because you need to offset the negativity bias, right? We have to offset the fact that your brain is wired. It's always going to attend to what seems to be a threat in the environment first. So you really have to offset that with an increase in by genuinely cultivating more positive emotions. You have to actively cultivate positive emotion.
0: OK, so one of the things that you teach um, is this idea that there is uh, something that happens to you um, and then you think about that, which creates a feeling, which creates an action or a reaction, which creates a result. Mm -hmm. And if you want to change that, um, because a lot of what you do is get people unstuck, which I was uh, very stuck. Um, So the idea is you just change your thoughts and it will change your results. Now, of course, that's the idea of manifestation and quantum physics. But the real question is, how do you how do you do that like do you pinch yourself every time you have that bad thought or how do you change your thoughts
1: well so yes our thoughts are very powerful the science is this is not woo woo this is science um your your thoughts are very powerful why because your thoughts are all your your beliefs create an emotional and a behavioral consequence so what we think generates the emotion that we're feeling. Our emotions are a cognitive construct. They require some kind of interpretation, right? So our thoughts are very powerful. Why? Because they create our thoughts, generate our emotions, and then our emotions prompt our actions. So what we do, and then what we do creates the result that we get. So your thoughts are very powerful. However, again, going back to sort of this you know, just positive affirmations. And I think it's very important to recognize that it's, you're, you're not going to go from, you know, believing um, the, you know, my best years are behind me to my future is going to be amazing, (laughs) whatever. You're not going to make that leap in one jump. I mean, unless you have to happen to be one of the lucky few people on the planet that has a, you know, stroke of, Just a flash of insight, right? Where, um, like Jill Bolte Taylor, she had this, um, she had a stroke, and it changed her life in a in an instant. She sort of, you know, had this a, a spiritual awakening. Some people have that happen to them. It's definitely the exception, not the rule. For most of us, what happens is we can identify a thought that maybe isn't very useful to us, and then we have to do the hard work of learning to speak a new language, just like we would be learning to speak. A foreign language. Uh, and we have to practice moving towards that new thought, right? So, you know, with regard to feeling an uncomfortable feeling, I, when I'm talking about like going after a big dream, it might be, um, I'm committed to making that happen, and it's going to be hard. And so, then you're solving for, okay, what do I want to make hard mean? When it gets hard, some people, the minute something gets hard, they have a mental model in their head, which is, oh, something's gone wrong, I should quit. What if you believed that hard was good, right? Or what if you believed that the challenges were only going to um, hone your skill, make you sharper, make you better, right? That they were only, the challenges there to improve you. So then you have a completely different relationship to it. So all of that is about changing your mind and changing the way you think about things.
0: When I think about my girlfriends, um, some of who are, whom are single, who've been reaching out during this period because they've all been sitting in their homes for six weeks. Right. Um, And, I, you know, and I think about them not wanting to date or, you know, basically being lazy because they think they can't find the right person or blah, blah, blah. I, how do you change that person who is older stuck in their ways and has a negative idea of what is out there for
1: them right so what creates the defeat and the hopelessness is the thought that there's nobody out there it's over I missed my shot whatever the whatever the thought whatever the belief is right but that that those are all very demotivating if you really believe that why would you exert any effort well they when, don't <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's Cause... very logical. It's very logical. It makes total sense. Like if I really genuinely believed that all of my effort was in, in, you know, was was futile, then I wouldn't go do it. It would make no sense. So there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with them. They're being logical. I would just offer to them that they're deciding already what their future holds. That in and of itself is irrational, because the future is just possibility. Yeah. Right. But they've already made a decision that they, with their beliefs, right. That, which, and then this is how this works. When I'm saying it's not woo woo, it's science. What I mean is if you've decided that, Oh, you know, my best years are behind me or there's nobody out for me, or this is, this is a waste of my time. Right. All those thoughts create an emotion of hopelessness. And when you feel hopeless, um, the actions that you take from a place of hopeless are often to inaction to do nothing, right? Why exert energy if there's no point makes sense. So the result that you create when you're not taking action is you don't meet new people. You don't go out and cultivate new, you know, new relationships and, 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 engage in new communities. And, um, and open your life up to finding, to having a whole new chapter or whatever, right? You don't do those things. So the result that you get is just more evidence that your thought is true, that, you know, there's nothing out there. It's a waste of time. My best years are behind me, whatever, right? So Mm. it's the way you're, this is just what we call cognitive bias, but essentially our brains are very invested in, proving our current thought true. Our brains are very invested in finding um, and seeking out and prioritizing information that affirms our current belief system. Yeah. Because why? (laughs) Because our brains, we don't want to exert energy. It's just much easier not to exert energy. And the same sort of goes for,
0: you know, friends of mine who are older and you know i have the ones that continue to go out and try and succeed and the ones that think it's too difficult and i'm not going to be able to do it um so that's interesting but
1: one of the things you but had... I, I i would ask the like i think the interesting question for those people yeah. always is just suspend disbelief for one second if you really did believe that you know your best years were ahead of you, which by the way, I think is always the best belief. Why would you ever want to think anything else? (laughs) I always Mm. think that my best years are ahead of me, right? Why would I want to choose to think anything else? I have no idea what the future holds. I'd rather have generate an excited, you know, an expansive, excited emotion about my future. But I think it's interesting to ask those friends of yours, who would you be if you did believe that your future was exciting? Who would you how would you be showing up differently if you really did believe that love was possible for you again how would you show up differently and normally they can they can access that they can find that and they can they can start to think oh yeah it's really just the 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 essential piece here is the thought
0: um another thing you had me do was um value setting versus goal setting uh, which again I'm halfway through um, so I can't I can't tell you exactly how it works so, because I haven't finished it but uh, and, and the dog ate my homework just FYI um, and I actually do have a dog now so there you go so would you explain what value
1: setting is and it's something you created I think uh, yeah I mean the the phrase is my creation the uh, the research on values and why identifying your values um largely stems from work in the um acceptance and commitment therapy act which i think is a wonderful modality um and a lot of great um, therapists who practice that particular approach but um nonetheless i think that i am a goal goal setting is important and i think achieving is part of well-being is that we are goal-directed organisms and that we on purpose and we're purposefully going after intentional objectives in our life. I think that's really an important part of, um, because hopeful people that believe in their future, they're trying to create something in the future. So they all have goals. That's what a goal is, right? But the reason that I do what I call value setting before goal setting is I think for so many of my clients, and I don't know. I think this is really something um, it seems to me more, more prevalent with women than men. Um, it's just my observation. But so many of my clients can't identify what they really want. They've maybe gone after goals that felt that they, you know, that that seemed important because society told them it was important or um, they're fulfilling what they think they should be as a woman or, um, you know, they're not actually genuinely intrinsically motivated to them. So meaning they're doing, they, they're doing it for someone else's sake or from the, ex- or for the external accolade, they're not doing it because they actually genuinely love it and want to go after it. It's, it doesn't have personal meaning to them really. So I, I often find that um, people get to a place in life where they may have achieved a lot, but it all kind of feels a little bit like a Pyrrhic victory, that they they've may have achieved all these things and they get there and they sort of feel, so what? You know, now what? I, I did that thing. I accomplished the professional goal or I, um, you know, live in the dream house or whatever. And I'm still, I feel this underfulfilled. What's that about? Right. And often what I find is it's because they really don't know and just on some deep level who they are and what they care about, what matters to them. How do you find that out? Just by questioning and starting being willing to question and paying attention, right? Paying attention to how they feel when they're doing things and actually listening to their body. Right. Often we're just doing stuff and it's and, you know, when you start to pay attention, like, are the, do you have a lot of emotional Novocate in your life? Meaning, are you doing a lot of things that numb you out? Over drinking, over eating, um, over binge watching shows, um, listening, you know, j- uh, passively learning and not actually taking action, not creating something. Buying you have a- houses <laughs> that you
0: renovate that you <laughs> don't move to, that sort of thing. Is that what you're talking <laughs>
1: right. about? <laughs> yeah. That I kind of stuff. Relate. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> like, I, I can't relate at all. Um, no. Great. <laughs> right, but it's exactly that person who's like constantly moving. That might be an emotional Novocaine. So when you start um, and it's anything that you're doing with some, it feels a little bit compulsive. there's a part of you that doesn't want to do it. And there's a part of you that feels as if it can't stop. Um, and when you have a lot of emotional Novocaine in your life, it's normally because you're doing things that you don't really want to be doing. And you haven't mm-hmm. given yourself the space to think about um, and to really start to question what kind of life do I really want? What what are the most what values are most important to me? Who who do I want to be? Uh, when I look back on my life, what how do I want to be remembered? How do I want to you know, how would I want other people to remember me or what would be um, you know, what are the things that I want to really want to accomplish that would feel meaningful? meaningful and important for their own sake right um and and i think that we just very rarely give ourselves the time to stop and actually ask ourselves these questions well it's
0: one of the things that i avoid doing at all costs (laughs) because i have a job that you know you can really do seven days a week all day and all night right um Um, but uh, one of the things that you, um, I I find working with you incredibly inspiring, but, but one of the things that you encourage me to do, because I have certain goals that I have not achieved, um, and I, I can't, I I procrastinate, uh, to doing them, you know what they are, Mm -hmm. um. And even though I do them, I just I don't take them to the, the, the next level. Right. Um, but but one of the things that you teach is journaling. And to me, what journaling is when I do it is it's like therapy without paying two hundred and fifty dollars. Right. Um, because it is you focusing on what you did that day or some funny thing. I mean, it's just you being in your own head, not distracting yourself. Um, yeah. So that's one of the things I like that you have taught.
1: Me. Right. I mean, you have to, you're, the, your thoughts are essential. Your thoughts are so important. Again, why? Because they generate your emotions and your emotions are what then prompt your actions. So if you want to understand why you are doing or not doing something, it's always because of a emotion you're feeling so how do we get to know ourselves and and actually you know really get to know ourselves well it's it starts with allowing your you know allowing yourself to put all your thoughts on paper and actually examining them what am I saying here you know what are the themes um, is that thought is that true that I'm telling my you know and again I do this you could do this about the most mundane stuff and it's normally very illuminating right um it doesn't have to be very profound it could be um i said you know i was going to do this thing and i'm putting it off why and then you start writing about what you why you really are dreading it what's the what are you telling yourself that's making you dread this activity or this task and you will learn a lot about yourself you will learn a lot about the narratives in your head you'll learn a lot about the belief systems that you that are totally unconscious and off and unquestioned. Um, and the, the work, I think, of adulting our work um, as we grow up is to actively question those belief systems. Often them, they were belief systems that we picked up as children and be willing to question them and, and design our current belief system on purpose, really rationally thinking it through. Is, do I really want to believe this anymore? Um, and people have all sorts of stuff like they'll have thoughts that you know that a friend at age nine said something to them you know and they've believed that they were a, you know something about themselves that they weren't creative but... or fat whatever right <laughs> it could be one of those like a, a friend you could be drawing with a friend at age nine and she's says you know that's terrible, or that's a terrible idea, or you're not creative, if someone says that to you, and then you believe your entire life, you just walk through life, acting out this belief that you're not creative and feeling all, you know, and then anytime you're engaging in something that requires some kind of creativity, you shut down, right, which of course gives you the result that you're bad at it. But everybody's creative, everybody, we're, we're, we are creation, each human being right so in it's it's intrinsic to us that we are creative beings um and again you just then you get to construct your own mindset on purpose right um and there's so much research on the growth growth and fixed mindset you know carol dweck and um angela duckworth and um alia crum and there's a lot of research there's a there's quite a lot of research now on the We have so much research on the importance of just how you think and how it shapes your actions and results
0: what do you think is wrong with therapy um because i mean i can think of people who've been going to the same therapist for many many years and they're not growing and they're not I mean, who, who said uh, somebody I was listening to say, what, what is a therapist? It's just a paid friend. Um, if they're not really moving you forward. So what is wrong with therapy in your opinion?
1: I don't think that there's anything wrong with therapy. I think that there are brilliant therapists. Um, and I think that doing the work of healing, um, early wounds is really essential. Um, important for people to do and everybody's been wounded there's not a single human on this planet that hasn't had you know trauma or pain or something that's happened to them that um life is very life is hard like that is a fundamental truth so um i think therapy is really wonderful i would say what you want in a good therapist is you, you have to be taking action to dip your, you have to be taking action to start to dispute the belief systems that are holding you back. So if you are yeah. creative, yeah. you have to start taking action against that belief. Like it's possible I might cre- be creative. I'm gonna portray that or um, even though this is uncomfortable, I'm gonna do it anyway, right? You have to take, you actually have to take the action to dispute the old belief system. And I think often in therapy, people just they get to the place of insight and they have a lot of insight into maybe how they develop some of these patterns or um, why they do what they do based on past experiences but they're not willing to take that next step and actually start to take action to construct a new identity and a new belief system And that is all part of the whole
0: positive psychology. Yeah. And I think that there's
1: different modalities Um, of therapy that, that I think practitioners do that. I think that that's, if if anyone, you know, you, that's what you really need. You need someone who's going to help, who's going to give you that framework to go and do the thing because you're never going to be able to evolve and grow without the action. You've got to take the action, right? You got to Manage your mind so that you can go do it, but you have to go do it. And that's the scary part. That's where you're going to feel all those difficult, uncomfortable feelings. Yeah,
0: I mean, it is interesting. And, you know, um, I, I think about a lot of people when they have real issues, which I think a lot of people have real issues right now. They are in the mode of problem solving. And actually, I I'm not making any money. What am I going to do to put food on my table in, in, in the world we're in right now? So they can't be off, you know, worrying about something,
1: you know, that mm-hmm. they, they don't have the time for. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, and I. but I think if you, when you get in, what, the reason we want to manage our mind is is when you're telling yourself, like, oh, in this climate, it's not possible. I can't do it. Then you, you shut your creativity down right there's really no what if you were had a new thought which was okay this is solvable or i can pivot or i can come up with a new way to solve this problem right or just something that helps you open yourself up a little bit to possibility so that you can start being a creative problem solver
0: um what is your advice, um, I mean, we, we're not sure how much longer we're going to be um, asked to stay home, um, but you were talking about connection and community being mm-hmm. very important. And mm-hmm. obviously we have our Zoom calls, um, but, but you know, a lot of people are not, uh, I mean, most people are not interacting with other people. What is your advice to those people to keep that side of them
1: you know it's such a good question and it's really important there um there's to be geeky it's called self-determination theory by ryan and dc Mm -hmm. but there's three you know their assertion is that there's three fundamental psychological needs so one is relatedness so our other people competence our sense of um mastery you know whether that's personal or professional, and then um, the third is autonomy, so a sense of control that you get to make choices in life, and those are the three fundamental psychological needs. Now, what we are experiencing right now with quarantine and, um, you know, sheltering in place from during this COVID pandemic is in some way a loss for most people, a loss of their relation, of all three of those things right so it can feel like the totally feel as if the ground has been ripped out from under you because you you're not connecting with the larger community of people that you typically do um you are you know you may be furloughed or your work is slowed down or you may just not be able to work at all um or you may have lost your job so there's that hits our sense of competence and then the third is autonomy and we're being told by lawmakers, what to do? Right, we're being told that we, um, our, our business can't. You know, you can't have people come to your store, or you, you, it's shut down. Um, you're not an essential worker, so you can't go to work. Um, so, the our sense of autonomy um, is also. Ha, it's it's changing so for, for a lot of people this is a huge part of what's at the core of what they're struggling with right now which makes total sense to me um i think it's really important for people to recognize that our sense of relatedness competence and autonomy are always generated in our brain that those we it's just about redefining our relationship with those three things so We just have to redefine what relatedness, competence, and autonomy means in this context, right? So I actually think that the fact that we can choose one thought over another is the ultimate autonomy. I never lose my autonomy, no matter what, you know? Um, And, you know, you can look at Viktor Frankl's work and he was in, um, I mean, three different concentration camps during the Second World War. And he as a, you know, he was a prominent uh, Viennese um, psychiatrist. And and then he was in a concentration camp with no choice, nothing. I mean, just an absolute abject, terrible, condi- I mean, just beyond terrible conditions, obviously. And his work that came out of that experience was this, you know, you always can choose one thought up over another you're never going to lose your the the real autonomy that you have is not can I leave my house or not no the real autonomy that you have is I get to decide what I want to make anything mean with my beautiful brain so when we Mm. you know I think it's really important for people right now to redefine what is it what does relatedness mean what does Um, competence mean to them? What does autonomy mean, right? You have to really redefine that for yourself, um, which was going to make this experience feel a lot less painful. Just think about
0: Mandela and how he managed 27 years in prison and then came out Mm -hmm. without being bitter. Um, That was him managing his mind Mm -hmm. that whole time. So there are many lessons we can learn from him um let me just ask you a couple more questions so uh how many people are you coaching right now i know you're writing a book um sometimes you do group coaching like how do people apart from listening to your to you being interviewed on podcasts how can they connect to you or work with you yeah well i
1: right now i'm doing um mostly group um group coaching and still do a a few one-on-ones um but we're launching uh, my groups right now. We have in sort of a new uh, four month program that will be starting in. Um, I think the first week of September will be um, a sort of a fund learning the fundamentals of these tools. Cause the reason I do short term work with clients is cause I really believe that this work is yours. You manage your own mind. You need to, all you need is to learn the skills of how to do it. Um, and to it's, it's just a skill set really. And, um, you're always your own best coach. You're the one who's with you all the time. So I, I just believe so much in our own ability to, um, heal ourselves. It's just learning that nobody, nobody teaches you the skills. Like how do you process emotions? How do you um, think on purpose? (laughs) How do, how do you do that? How? (laughs) Well, most of it is just (laughs) (laughs) learning how to sit with them right learning how to sit with them without running away and that's very hard it's very hard for us right uncomfortable emotions the second we start to feel one we want to dive into a pint of ice cream we want to dive into a bottle of wine you know we want to distract ourselves with tv or um call someone to gossip you know anytime we're feeling an uncomfortable feeling the last thing that we want to do is slow down and actually Pay attention to where that feeling actually exists in your body, Where what's the physical sensation. That's, that's the work, it's uncomfortable. I mean,
0: it's like what people who eat, not me of course, but people who eat when they feel like mm-hmm. a little empty. Um, and then if you do sit with yourself and say, do I really want some ice cream? Am I really hungry? No, I'm actually not. So what am I doing? I'm just, okay, I'm going to feel this emotion. What is this emotion? It's boredom. It's, I'm tired. I'm bored. I'm, I, you know, and then you have to sort of go somewhere else. No, but here's the beautiful thing.
1: When you're willing to sit with those feelings, they give you so much important information. Right? So you're like, oh, I feel like really, I'm feeling lonely. Like like what? Okay, well, if you distract yourself from the loneliness, you'll never address The loneliness. Okay. I'm lonely. What are, what can I do to feel less lonely? I'd love to feel less lonely. So much you can do to feel less lonely. Like what? Get involved in interesting hobbies and activities that are with other people. Um, Reach out to a friend and say, Hey, let's go on a walk, you know, or, um, nowadays let's get on this. Let's get on this FaceTime. Um, Right. Or you can just, there's, you can address the issue. Right. And then you can also think about, wait, what am I telling myself? That's making me feel so lonely. Maybe, maybe it's just a narrative in my head. Um, Right. I could, instead of feeling I'm alone, I could have, you know, think about it in a different way. Um, So, or if I'm feeling empty, what's that about? What is that feeling? Um, That feeling is so it's, it's instructive. It's helping you move you toward the your most valued self what is it that you if you're feeling unfulfilled good to know what would fulfill you let's get to the work of making your life big and vital right but we can't do that if you're just distracting yourself from all these feelings it's very difficult to get to move forward because you're just numb you know you're taking the edge off so to speak but by taking the edge off Right, you're sort of living on the surface of life.
0: Do you believe that people you pick up other people's energy? Like, I'm particularly drawn to you know, you one can be drawn to people who are more
1: negative and feel comfortable with them. Why is uh, that normally because it aligns with your own belief system and how you feel normally? Right? It's just it just feels familiar. Right. And, and your, your yeah. brain is wired to, again, it's going to, um, seek out, in, in, you know, information or it's going to prioritize information that aligns with your current belief system, right? So like, like finds like, and to, unless you, right, unless you actively do the work to change those things, which is totally possible, you know, um. I love that Jill Bolte Taylor, who wrote the wonderful book "My Stroke of Insight." Um, I recently heard her. On, My stroke of My what, stroke what's it, of Insight. What's it book. Um, and oh, I recently heard her on an interview. Um, she was on um, a podcast called "Own Your Throne," and she was being interviewed. And she said, um, "And she said, you know, your your thoughts are just." cells in your brain and i thought oh such a beautiful way to describe it right it's really when you think about it in that way like of course we we are our, our, there's neuroplasticity our brains are there there's malleability in um in how your you know what what's firing and wiring together it's something that we can change over time and we're always changing it our brain is constantly changing so um you know you get to be more in the driver's seat of that process when you It's just a mental shift where you begin to realize, oh, I'm changing anyway. My mind and my body is changing every second of every day, always. Do I want to be in the driver's seat of that change or do I want to be sitting in the passenger seat? Mm, Exactly. So you're writing a book. Can you tell us anything I'm about it? I'm working on a book, just exactly this idea, which is really sort of how do you do this? I think everybody knows that mindset is um, mindset is so important. There's so much research on this now, and I think there's more of a collective agreement now um, culturally that your mindset matters. But I think the question for most people, and it certainly was for me and um, why I do this work is I, I just thought there was such a gap in understanding, okay, but how do you go about changing it? How do you, you know, how do you do it? You know, the application.
0: Interesting. I can't, I cannot wait to read it. I, I have <laughs> already offered to throw the, throw the <laughs> exactly. party we'll do it. for your book. <laughs> um, oh, it's so fun to talk to you. Talk so to much, you. Sasha. Um, I've missed I've missed talking to you recently. I, I can't wait to get back to it soon. Soon as I sell a big house, which will be soon, I know exactly. It's all about the thoughts. right mindset because I work <laughs> because I work with you. <laughs> Thank you so much, and right, have a great thanks. day.